0: everybody and welcome back to another episode of the .NET on aws show i'm your host brandon minnick and with me as always is my amazing co-host francois francois how are you hello everyone
1: week? um uh, awesome awesome um i had a great week um i was able to code for several days uh, in a row so it was it was a great week <laughs>
0: those are the best yeah yeah that's fantastic, fantastic.
1: I don't know, what to do. how
0: uh, are you doing? Oh, I'm great. So for, for folks who watch the show, join us every other week. I mean, of course, thank you, but you'll notice my background's a little different and I'm actually, I'm on holiday. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the Christmas break coming up. So my wife and I are taking two weeks to go to the Canary Islands and I'm coming to you live from Tenerife this week. So really, really cool. And. I was just chatting with Francois before the show. I said, you know, I'm on hotel Wi-Fi. So if all of a sudden I disappear, keep the show going. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. Much appreciated. always oh, love it. Uh, but yeah, I, I got to do some, some coding last week too. And I got to play around with a really, really cool tool that just came to Visual Studio, specifically our AWS toolkit for Visual Studio. And that's CodeWhisper. And if you haven't heard of it, Code Whisperer is our AI coding companion that basically writes the code for you. And we did a a couple of shows on Twitch last week, uh, basically uh, reinvent recaps, uh, kind of recovering from our big reinvent conference that AWS holds every year around this time. And at reinvent, you know, we announced Code Whisperer. So if you haven't tried it yet, go get it. Uh, it's included there in the AWS Toolkit, so just make sure your AWS Toolkit extension for Visual Studio is up to date. You'll see a little icon that kind of looks like a brain in the corner. That's Code Whisper. That's your that's your smarts. So make sure to connect that to your AWS account, and then you can start using it to write code for you. And we got to show that off last week on our our ReInvent recap show. So you can check out those videos. Or stay tuned. I'll be pu- publishing some videos next month to our YouTube channel to show it off as well. So really, really cool stuff. And like I said, it pretty- makes it so I don't have to read the docs. Which, if I'm being honest, I don't usually read the docs anyways until I get something wrong. <laughs> so with Code Whisper, you just you type in a comment, you say, do this for me, and it'll do it for you. But goodness. Um, how about you, Francois? You you're working on something cool recently.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm I working with um with Bedrock recently, so um from C sharp. So I I'm playing with all these large language model, so that's um really cool. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun with this. I'm, um I've shared um a GitHub project uh with the community called .NET Foundation Model Playground. So it's basically uh a c sharp uh, application um uh, using a bedrock and illustrating what you can do with with bedrock so if you if you are looking on example on how to use bedrock from c sharp code you can watch out this um this got sample but something else um uh got my, my hi sorry my highs last week um we just released... The .NET Eight Lambda um, OCI image. So, if you want to um, uh, build a .NET Eight uh, Lambda image for your running your application, you can use this image. So, it's still in preview, but uh, yet not, uh, it is in in the uh, registry. So, you can download this image. And the next good news that uh, catch my eyes is that we. Plan to release .NET eight managed runtime for Lambda in January. So no guarantee, but uh, it's public. It is in the AWS Lambda documentation. So they've written it in the, the documentation. So that's probably because they are uh, quite confident on, on on the fact that they will release uh, for .NET eight in January. So that's really cool. Uh, that. I've
0: got it. I've got some some Lambdas that can use that. Right away. So super exciting. And speaking of Lambos, we're actually going to be talking about that today. We have an amazing, amazing guest joining us today. You know him from a previous episode. He's one of our first time repeat guests on the .NET on AWS
2: show. Daniel Marbach, welcome to the show. Hey, good to see you again. So I figured because it's almost Christmas, right? I I I wear a, a green T-shirt and uh, a silly hat to to make this a little bit more festive <laughs> today. So <laughs> thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's awesome to be back. Uh, I'm looking forward to through this conversation to all the demos that I have in my in my pocket. Uh,
0: oh my gosh, so much good <laughs> stuff you're gonna see today. Uh, yeah, Daniel, thanks so much for coming back. And if if you haven't seen the previous episode with Daniel, make sure to. You- pause the show, go check that out. We're going to be building on a lot of that today. But Daniel, for anybody who doesn't know you, who are you and what do you do?
2: Yeah, so I'm Daniel Morbach. I'm from Switzerland. Uh, uh, So my native language is actually Swiss German, which I guess there are no written rules uh, that uh, I can basically speak about anything in Swiss German. And uh, when I write text messages to people, they, uh, they will just basically understand based on the context uh, when people uh, also are capable of reading Swiss German. It's a really weird language. Um, So uh, I live in Lucerne. Uh, It's uh, it's a beautiful uh, uh, town in basically central Switzerland. And I have a wife and a son. He's now 10 years old and we just started skiing again. So this the, this weekend, uh, there is plenty of snow now in Switzerland, and uh, we had a lot of fun. Probably not in the Canary Island, where you are right, are right now. There's probably no snow, right? But <laughs> uh, No, no was I was, was at the was beach nice. this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I work for a company called Particular Software, and we uh, are the makers of N-Service Boss and the Particular platform. And in my free time, uh, I'm I'm basically doing sort of open source contributions a little bit of coding on on the side and for some reasons i'm happy i am i happen to be a microsoft mvp i still don't know why but (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so that's pretty much it me in a nutshell yeah
0: that's incredible now we were we were chatting before the show about all all the topics we wanted to cover today i know you've got it the demos and I joke we might even have to have you back on for a third show to squeeze all this in. Uh, but where where should we start?
2: Well, I think uh, I would like to do a quick recap for those who haven't seen the last show, so that we are all up to up to speed. So um let's do that. Uh, let me share uh, let me share my screen. So um so the, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do a quick uh, recap of the last demo that i I showed uh, the last time in the previous show. So essentially what we have here is we have the N-Service Bus Lambda integration, and what it essentially, I'm using still sort of the slightly older model the, that is not yet on the annotation framework that uh, you already have put out uh, there. By the way, I can highly recommend, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, go check out the AWS uh, Lambda toolkit and the uh, annotations framework. It's pretty cool because now you also have service collection integration, that stuff. Um but I'm showing here the, the regular integration, how we did it before. So essentially here we're setting up this Lambda endpoint and then we configure a serializer and some other stuff. And we are also configuring the DynamoDB persistence. This tells basically end service bus, hey, whenever you store some state, use DynamoDB because it's an awesome scalable database. We want to use that in AWS, right? And it's uh, it's I don't have to sort of, provision capacity when I'm using the serverless mode. It just It's just rock solid and works quite well. I'm telling it to which table I need to store my data. And then I basically define uh, the Lambda function that gets called whenever an SQS message comes in. And as you can see, I'm using the simple queuing service from AWS here. And then it just called this process method. And what this allows to do is essentially now service Bus, which is a messaging abstraction sort of framework that allows to consume messages from many queuing systems, which also includes uh, a simple queuing uh, service, uh, SQS. Uh, it also connects to SNS, but it also supports for people that are running in Azure, as an example, Azure Service Bus storage queues. And for people that are more on premise, MSMQ or a SQL Server as a transport or RabbitMQ, which is quite popular as well and from there you basically just focus on uh, your business code and what this means is essentially you no longer have to sort of return to the lambda that you acknowledge the message or if you're getting batches of messages uh, you then have to basically make sure that every single message is properly acknowledged and the one that failed um that is properly retried that's all done behind the scenes by answer response as you can see you just implement this interface i handle messages. Of of T, where T is the the actual payload, and then this this stuff will get invoked. And by the way, you get dependency injection and everything uh, out of the box. So a- everything that you have configured essentially on Service bus you can just inject it into uh, the constructors of your business logic or whatnot. And the last time I showed this sort of order example and sort of an order process, um, which is here. So what, I, what I'm doing here is I have this order saga. And the idea is whenever uh, a new order comes in with an order ID, this saga is going to sort of represent the state of an order. So let's say an order with uh, ID 42 comes in, right? And then what's going to happen is for the for the order for 42, uh, all the states that sort of represents that order uh, will be captured and automatically stored in uh, DynamoDB and all the messages that are related to this order. Like, for example, the customer was billed or the inventory was staged, right? Will then sort of automatically be correlated sort of to that sort of stateful entity that sort of lives uh, as long as we want it to live. And we can see here where it, this thing gets started when the place order comes in. And then uh, essentially, what we can do, what I'm doing here is I'm using the native, we call that the late delivery uh, capability. I can basically say, well, maybe um, we want to, if we are not able to fulfill the order in a specific uh, period of time, we want to, for example, give out voucher codes, 10% voucher codes to, to customers. And then we're presenting that by basically saying, hey, send a message into the future uh, with late delivery, and here I'm using eight seconds, and then publish the order uh, received event. And in the meantime, while when we're sort of trying to do a uh, customer build and when we're trying to do the inventory stage and we haven't sort of completed in time in this eight second, seconds, uh, which is an arbitrary interval that I have chosen for this uh, for this demo, then the timeout uh, will, will get called. Uh, it's here and then we can basically say well the order was delayed and if we successfully sort of completed uh the the order which is this ship if possible what we're essentially doing is we're publishing the order ship and we're saying now the order is done the order is um complete so that's the demo that i started um uh, showing uh the last time and uh, i guess if you don't have any questions about this code i can quickly show you how it actually looks like when it's running on AWS Lambda, as a quick recap. Is that um, a good
1: idea? Cool. Um, Let's do it (laughs) neatly. So
2: let's do it. So as you can see here, that people actually believe me that I'm not uh, cheating all over the place. I've already essentially, uh, I'm using the serverless uh, deployment. So what I've done here, I've done done .NET Lambda deploy serverless right with the AWS uh, Lambda toolkit which is uh, absolutely superb, right? Because I can just define my serverless template with cloud formation stuff and basically say, package everything, uh, do all the SNS and SQS queues and just run it in the cloud. And I've already done that so that we don't uh, require more time for this demo. And then what I can do is have this... Daniel, we so, Yeah. The, just to fill everybody in. Uh, so um
0: let's see. I see you're typing in .NET lambda uh how do we get that those lambda command line tools integrated into the dotnet command line tool
2: ah okay yeah okay that's a that's a great question so what you can do is in basically whenever you have .NET installed on your machine right what you can do is you can essentially do install it as a global tool uh, for example i don't know at the top of my head essentially my my, the, the actual command, but I think it's .NET uh, install um, and then AWS Lambda or something like that, minus G, which means global. And then sort of you you get it installed and then it's in your machine and then you can just uh, use it. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, there are also Visual Studio templates you can use that are, are built in. But um, that's that's all I know about the toolkit. But maybe, uh, Brandon, I'm throwing it back to you. Did I sort of... <laughs> some well, enough. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's something cool that I wanted to highlight that not a lot of .NET developers know about because, I mean, myself included, um, I usually just work in Visual Studio. I don't do a ton of stuff in command line. Uh, but it's so cool to see how the .NET command line tools have grown. And yeah, like you said, if you say .NET install and point it to our, our Lambda SDK or Lambda workload... Uh, it can bring all these in, and we can essentially bolt these extra commands into the command line tools and couple that with cloud formation, like you mentioned, which helps you define everything you need in AWS then gosh, yeah, like one line of one one command line line of code and you're up and running.
2: Yeah, so that's I mean, uh, I haven't planned to cover that, but that's basically the cloud formation template. That sort of um, that is, is sort of picked up by the tool, right? And it sort of deploys AWS queues, it deploys uh, SNS topics that are required for the sample to run, and then below here it also um, automatically provisions a Dynamo DB table um, with uh, a, s- a specific um, primary key and secondary key or hash key, as some people are calling it, right? It defines the schemas, and then here we essentially. Defining the trigger function for SQS, and uh, we then basically just point it to the method that we looked at the beginning, and then we just it gets zipped and uploaded and uh, automatically uh, deployed. And once we have that running, essentially we can now sort of start here. What what I'm doing is in my console I'm doing .NET run, and I'm basically pointing it to release, and now. Um, it compiles, and now I have my beautiful UI, which is a command line interface, running, and I can start uh, placing order by hitting enter. And uh, as you can see, now I'm sort of um, placing a few orders by hitting enter. They get placed, and behind the scenes, the lambda function is essentially processing those messages. It's um, doing the, the the order saga that we saw, and after a period of time. Uh, because of my clever usage of random next um, uh, that I've already talked about the last time, we will see that some orders will get delayed, and we get sort of uh, back and 10% uh, a coupon code with 10% reduction for the next order because uh, my web store wasn't wasn't sort of uh, fast enough to to sort of uh, ship everything according to the SLAs that we have with our uh, v- valuable customers. So that's happening uh, sort of uh, behind the scene, and if I'm Fast enough, what I'm going to do is I'm sending a few more orders, and now I'm heading over into uh, the console. Uh, I'm going to the AWS um, uh, management uh, console, and then I, sk- I go into that table that I deployed with DynamoDB. And as we can see here um, on the screen now, and I'm showing that, uh, I can now dive into the data that is stored, and I can, for example, click on such an item and we can see that basically behind the scenes by plugging in the DynamoDB uh, persistence, what the, the saga state that sort of represents a, a specific order has been stored. And what we see now on the screen for those people that are listening to the audio podcast is basically uh, we have different attributes that, that are sort of then uh, stored in the DynamoDB table. So we have, for example, whether the inventory was staged, whether that was true or false, or we have the order ID, and we have the custom, whether the custom was built true or false, and all that state that we essentially previously declared on that order saga as sort of a plain old, <laughs> plain old C um, Sharp or CLR object was just was automatically sort of persistent in the right format into um, into DynamoDB by Azure And I remember the last time I sort of did this hand waving and said, "Yeah, you can just do." Like a one-liner and basically hook it up with Aurora DB for an example, right? And I remember, like last one, um, Brandon were like uh, nodding their head, and but I was like, yeah, but they're t- they're so easy because I could just claim things and then <laughs> just believe, yeah. it, just believe it, right? So and I figured maybe maybe they just nodded, but internally they were like, yeah, Daniel, come on, uh, I don't believe it before I see it, and um, I'm a, uh, if you want, I, mean, I can actually show that to you to yeah you. Um, so yeah,
1: just, just a, a quick question Daniel be, be yeah. before um you uh, we move. Absolutely. um just to uh, I want to make sure that um so here uh, what we've seen w- when you've showed your cloud formation file you were defining mm-hmm. the dynamo I go back? so um yes oh so, so people you, just for people here in the cloud formation template you are just Defining the primary key and the th- secondary key, but mm-hmm. there are much more data in your um, your DynamoDB table. You have uh, additional attributes, and all the all those attributes are automatically binded by by your framework. Is that correct?
2: Correct, correct. Yes. So essentially, behind the scenes, when we uh, when we see, I'm switching now back to the order saga, um, where we have here this order saga. You, you see, it inherits from saga. And it, uh, sort of the T is defined find order saga data. And if we look into that definition, it says uh, order ID of string, and it has a bool customer build and a bool inventory stage, right? And that state represents for every order that comes in, sort of represents obviously a very primitive, <laughs> because it's just a sample, a sort of state machine, right? That sort of gets driven by... The different messages that coming from the subsystems that would be uh, at play in a sort of more complex distributed system that get automatically correlated based on uh, the order id to that order saga that presents that uh, business process uh, flow and then um, it sort of uh, sort of stores or rehydrates depending on uh, uh, what, what's happening that state from DynamoDB. db and uh, sort of changes the state and uh, reliably stores it back. And that is the thing that I've showed uh, in the console on AWS is it's, uh, essentially the DynamoDB persistent understands sort of how uh, a C uh, sharp object should be uh, stored with all its metadata uh, uh, into uh, into DynamoDB. And I'm going to talk a little bit more when we move to the sort of outbox pattern at what you can do because there are lots of restrictions we have to take into account like for example one is you can only store 400kb into one item in dynamo db right and um uh, depending on what we're doing we might actually our payload size might be bigger than what Dynab- dynamo db can actually support and sort of the framework behind the scenes will do the necessary things in order to sort of make sure that everything is reliably stored and i think that was also one of the questions that brandon Sort of ask right it's like uh, well what can answer response do um uh, well, because we talked about sending a message for example Sqs and um, we talked a bit of, about the complexity of what what starts on top of the basically just the SDK that you're using right because you have to be careful um what you have uh, where you put your code you have, especially when transactionality comes in play but you can refer to the last show we talked a bit more about that so if you're interested the readers are interested yeah
1: what's that that
2: good can i can i move on francois or do you have any other yeah questions?
1: yeah it was it was all okay and now i want to see <laughs>
2: okay cool
1: i want cool. to double check if you if what you say is correct <laughs> and it's not just, not just a claim Right.
2: <laughs> okay we're not just so... smiling and
0: nodding on this
2: let me just, uh, to, 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 to please the demo goals, let me just uh, stop the other, uh, the other demo. <laughs> I'm going to go back. Brandon, you want to say something?
0: Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned we're, we're, uh, we're using a DynamoDB database, and we're going to be showing how, in one line of code, we can switch it over to a different kind of database
2: uh, called Aurora.
0: What, what is Aurora, and why might I want to use that instead of DynamoDB?
2: yeah so uh to be honest i'm not an expert in aurora i'm just a a user right so you might need to help me out there uh, so that i'm using the correct terminology but for me it's basically uh, in my little world it's a sort of uh, a managed service that allows me to sort of host different uh, relational databases as a service so for example i can go to aurora I can select whether I want to sort of do a serverless model or I want to do uh, sort of a, um, a different uh, managed model that they, they provide and they can say I need a MySQL database or I need a Postgres database or I need a Microsoft SQL Server database, right? Because most people are familiar with um, sort of relational databases like Postgres or MySQL. And then maybe uh, you want to start there. You don't want to use something like DynamoDB because you're just not used to sort of think in sort of the NoSQL world, right? And then you can basically go and use the AuroraDB as a very scalable managed service to run your relational database on top of it. So that's my conceptual understanding of uh, what Aurora actually is. Uh, Yeah. Hopefully I got that right. (laughs) Yes.
1: Just for... for for accuracy for our um, uh, attendees. Um, so Aurora is really the serverless part, and um, uh, you, you can uh, have PostgreSQL and MySQL with Aurora, and Aurora is part of uh, Amazon RDS, Relational Database Service, and uh, with RDS, you can host as well SQL Server Database, and um, now you can even host uh, DB2, IBM DB2 database. We've just announced this uh, at ReInvent. You can also host Oracle databases, but those one, um, those kind of database doesn't benefit of the serverless model. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's managed service, but it's not serverless one. Uh, it's really you 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 set up the number of um, uh, instances. You you want the size of the instances behind the scene will manages for you but it's not serverless while mm-hmm. when you go move to Aurora you can benefit from uh really a serverless services if you want
2: mm-hmm. nice thank you for that the, that's why that's why I always have great backup in, right in those shows uh, <laughs> when my knowledge <laughs> is not not covering uh uh all the details and by the way actually I I think it was the first time when I used Aurora in uh, sort of in two just to basically back up the claims from the last show. And, uh, I was also uh, running into a few things. Like, for example, I wasn't aware that when you're, because I'm now connecting from my machine to Aurora DB, you need to make it publicly accessible. And apparently the serverless one, you can't make the one publicly accessible. It's also only possible, um, uh, within the same uh, VPC because I, I couldn't get it to run. Maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's just one, uh, the basically the problem was the user in front of the computer. I don't know, but uh yeah. <laughs> uh, um,
1: but, uh, I have to double check, uh let's be honest. Okay. I have to double check, okay. yeah. Yeah. But now it works.
2: <laughs> so here as you can see, is what I'm doing is I basically have almost the same code. I'm now in right again in the in the IDE. I basically have almost the same code this time in except I'm not doing use DynamoDB persistence, I'm basically doing use SQL persistence. And I'm defining the dialect, which is here MySQL. And I provide a MySQL connection uh, over the connection builder. And I'm extracting the connection string. So this could actually be written in a fluent style, what I'm showing here. So I guess it's one line of code. So, But uh, (laughs) I basically (laughs) separated it into uh, three lines of uh, code. And if you count the connections, getting the connection string from the environment we're able, then it's four lines of code. So I guess I exaggerated there a little bit with one line of code, but the rest is the rest is all the same. As you can see, we again we have a we have an, an order saga um, that we sort of get in where we can say it started by place order and all that. I'm not going to repeat it. And now we have essentially the same example running with Aurora DB. And now I'm switching over uh, again to just to prove here on the screen. I'm also using. Again, .NET uh, deploy serverless uh, to essentially uh, run that uh, Lambda in in the cloud. I've already done that before the show, so everything ran successfully. And now I can uh, go again into the amazing client UI, and I can run that one. And now it's uh, starting up. And now you can see we've already had, I've already placed a few orders, and I can place a few more orders and the sample is it's now it's boring right because it's the same but let's see how it actually looks like so when i'm 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 switched over the screen and i'm now in the data grip which is a tool to sort of go into different databases um so i i connected now to the uh, daniel uh, underscore aws show instance that aurora db instance that is running in the cloud and we can see now previously i showed how item was stored in DynamoDB, basically using primary key the hash key and uh, sort of uh, sort of the the contract was sort of mapped to the the native storage layer that dynamo db requires and here on my screen you can see now that essentially those sagas that were started they are now stored here with json into a relational database table and um, and it has uh a few things, other attributes like, for example, it has a dedicated column column that represents the correlation ID, which is the order ID that that is required to sort of retrieve the record inside the relational databases, and the actual data is JSON serialized, uh, containing um, all the necessary information that 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 we have in the database, and when the sagas are completed. Sort of like with DynamoDB, all sort of the, the state goes away Um uh, because it's only needed while the sagas are running. And when they're done, essentially yeah, they're gone. And I mean, uh, let me send a few more maybe. And when I'm switching back to the screen, you can see that essentially multiple business processes are, are executed and some of them are again delayed uh, over time. And now we can see that we have a few more sort of items in in, in the database when I'm when I'm switching back. So essentially, um, the the four lines of code, or if you write it fluent and inline, the get environment variable, uh, which would be one line of, of code to switch over the, the exact same business process to Aurora DB, right? And we already talked about this because Brendan uh, sort of mentioned this is an excellent question in the last conversation, right? He said, well, one, when you're sort of want to be a bit more cloud independent, or for example, you have different needs, depending on your staging environments or CIC, CD, basically, you can switch with uh, just a few lines of code, you can basically switch from sort of using SQS or something that is based on the file system, or even your persistence layer, you can switch it to you're running on a local MySQL that is running in Docker, right? While when you're actually then going to the cloud, you can then basically switch over to use Aurora DB or DynamoDB DB, like like we just um, uh, showed. Yeah. So that was my proof that things also
1: run in Aurora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and while what, what you were running your, your demo, Daniel, uh, I uh, I double check. Uh, this um access equation you you had and um so so you can access uh publicly only uh if you um configure your aura database to have a public um oh. i p address um oh. because by default uh, your aura instance is set up in your uh in uh a v- yes, yes. Mm-hmm. private uh yeah exactly cloud. yeah so yeah. it's your private network. So by uh-huh. default, um, it won't have access to, uh, fr- you won't yes, have access. Yes, and then to you have this public access with- flag in the CloudFormation template.
2: Yeah, yeah. I could get that to work with the serverless uh, version. Uh, so maybe I must have done something wrong. Uh,
1: yeah, is- so I, I, I was just double-checking in, in the console. So in, through the console, uh, you can easily set up when you set up your instance. Um, nice. Yeah, maybe there is there are some conflict in the cloud formation. One one option, uh, maybe conflicting with your public access. So that's that may be. The... Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it has been many
2: times when I'm doing something that the the problem is actually between the chair and the keyboard. So that's
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not the first time. <laughs> yeah, and, and for for AWS, um often, security is our top priority. So if if there is a doubt, we, will, we won't grant <laughs> access outside or public access and so on because we want to to protect your, your, your yeah, data and so on. So. Yeah,
2: and I mean, that's like uh, you probably know that as well as uh, developer advocates, right? Uh, usually, there is a, a big gap between uh, a demo in the sense what you need for a demo uh, you basically you're more sort of uh, potentially especially when you want to showcase one feature and you might not want to showcase the security aspect you're a bit more relaxed in <laughs> making things yeah. uh, publicly accessible to sort of get, get the point across while this is definitely then usually not what you want to do in your production environments
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the famous oh i am administrator access it will be all good <laughs>
2: i actually
0: got i got yelled at by aws security uh it was one of the first weeks i had started the aws and yeah just like you said daniel i was putting together just a simple serverless demo and yeah i just i just enabled everything publicly because i was like well well, like there's no uh sensitive data and we don't have to worry about gdpr like this is just something to uh, showcase some dummy data and how things work and yeah, immediately got <laughs> emails from IT like, "What are you doing? How? Why would you ever do that?" I was like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, won't <laughs> won't happen again." Because uh, yeah, to me, it's just like, oh, just like this one little thing over here. But you know, there could always be you know, anytime you open it up, right? There's always just vectors for vulnerabilities, and hmm. the the yeah. security people who actually know what they're doing, it makes them really nervous. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i've already yeah i've already been paged over the night because um the security check <laughs> um are running uh during the day in, in u s so it was night for me and i've been paged over the night because uh, for a demo i've set up uh something wrong um uh, it uh i guess it was yeah i i i mean uh every bucket public uh for static mm. website hosting. Mm. And I've I've been paid over the line <laughs> for this. Hey, what are you doing? Why well, why is this through is is public? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so so Daniel, jump
0: go ahead, jump back to this demo. Um uh, yes. The, it's super, super cool. Um yeah. Well. Cool. The 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 demo in general, you know, we're we're placing orders, we're showing how everything works. Uh Zooming out a little bit and talking about kind of real world usage, what's an example of a company, a customer, like who which developers out there might be um leveraging
2: similar logic, similar code like this in their apps? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well <laughs> so um actually so I mean one of the funny funny things, right, that you usually hear people talk about when they talk about distributed systems is that um is that if you don't have to, don't distribute, right? But uh, because uh, as soon as you go into the distributed systems world, the complexity goes through the rooftop. That's what some people are saying, right? And I think I've also been sort of um, been hit by that problem and, uh, some of our customers as well. But one of the things that sort of comes, some people actually sort of forget is that as soon as you have an ESP doing a core, for example, API, sort of calls to a database you already by definition have more than one node, right because your database is running on another node. so you already are sort of getting more and more distributed and then usually what's coming is that uh, you might need to call a third-party api right and uh, let's say you for example you need to sort of call a fedex or ups service and then when you do that sort of in the middle of your request path why that well, that might sound like a good idea. One of the problems you might have is that essentially that UPS or FedEx system, and I, I'm not claiming their APIs are not great. I'm just saying, uh, let's uh, let's pick another name. It doesn't really matter, right? So you call a third-party se- service, and then boom, suddenly your code depends on sort of that SLA of that third-party service, right? And if that starts throwing, uh, you might... Up- losing the requests because it sort of bubbles up uh, over the web API. And then what do you do? Are you going to basically call your customers and saying, hey, we we have a hunch that you might order uh, precious stuff from our web shop, but we don't actually know, right? So uh, once you start thinking a bit more in sort of uh, the asynchronous fire and forget world, what you can actually do with messaging is, right, you can basically take your business request and you can durably store it uh, so that when anything goes wrong, then you can actually uh, retry it um, uh, behind, the, uh, behind the scenes so that so that all this, you're never actually losing the request, right? And you can take it away from, let's say, from the API path, shovel it into queue, durably stored, and then your backend system, whenever it has time, it can start processing it. If there is a programming error, it can retry. Or what's also pretty neat is you can basically start doing sort of a load balancing um, uh, your requests, right? Because uh, instead of setting for every request, you're also calling all the third-party APIs. You can define on SQS, for example, the concurrency that you want to only handle, I don't know, 10 messages concurrently, and then you it will steadily do just uh, up to 10 uh, concurrent requests. It will happily uh, consume those messages. And if you don't have any requests, then it will also sort of, Trickle down and and keep on uh doing stuff when it when it needs to, and I actually have funny enough, I actually have a sort of a, a, a demo that would actually illustrate that um so the one of the things that I've <laughs> done is, uh, <laughs> this is uh let me just have a quick look because uh yeah here so I have created another example this time it's not um it's not using uh dyno, uh not using uh dynamo in the cloud but it's actually uh when we can have a look here it's using um it's using the uh, the local emulator uh so because what you can do is um which is uh pretty neat is wh- there is like you can have a docker sort of uh, a docker template and there is this amazon i'm showing this now on the screen a uh, docker compose yaml And in there, you can basically say, hey, I want the Amazon DynamoDB local uh, image. Uh, And then you can just start the DynamoDB uh, locally on your machine. You don't need any connection. And I've basically set up now this this example here uh, with the DynamoDB uh, local emulator. And now I can locally, uh, I can define the service URL on the Amazon DynamoDB config for the DynamoDB client to be localhost A8000. uh, and then write the access key for the local emulator and just basically drop that in. And now everything runs locally. And what I've done is I also have this order saga, uh, because I'm keeping the same theme, right? But, uh, and that what I also have is essentially I have here, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about sort of the, the transactions. If we still have time, I also have a handler that sort of handles, uh, ship order commands and what it does it stores order shipping information in in dynamo db and then what i've done here is i essentially have this uh the grinch hates christmas <laughs> uh, which is uh, which is sort of um in the theme of christmas right because uh, the grinch really hates christmas the idea is that sort of some orders will just will just fail um and uh, what it does, it throws uh, the cringe is is messing up Christmas exception uh, in the middle of of the code. Um, and but everything will work um, essentially when we when we run uh, this demo. And what we will see is that even though we had exceptions in the middle of sort of the the request when we're sort of handling the orders, all the orders will uh, eventually uh, eventually uh, complete. And um, I'm gonna quickly demonstrate that. So now, when we we can uh, sort of uh, run <laughs> in sagas we trust. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Uh, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm. If we want, we can even sort of um, sort of set here a breakpoint so that we see that's actually happening. I'm starting now the server in the in the debugging mode, and I'm doing that directly in the IDE, and I'm also starting now the client not in the debugging mode uh, and the client again is a beautiful just console uh window and now I'm, what i'm doing is now i'm sending a few orders and what what we can see is now after a while essentially uh the, the grinch is tired of all the christmas uh shopping stuff that is happening and it's throwing this the christmas is messing up uh christmas uh, exception and even though this sort of happens, what we will be able to see is that uh, essentially uh, all all the it, what it, what's happening here is that we get this exception in the code, and we can see it in the output. It says immediate retry is going to retry message with ID blah blah blah, and the exception of type the cringe is messing up Christmas exceptions, right? So if we had this exception in the middle of the request path, in the example that we talked about. Essentially, the the order would would be lost. But here, essentially, what we're seeing is it gets retried. The message gets sort of brought back to the s v. s q queue or the local transport here. In this specific example, gets redelivered, and then because the cringe the cringe uh, doesn't care about uh, the other orders, it only cares about every tenth order. <laughs> it essentially uh, it gets then uh, success uh, fully um, handled um, automatically. Essentially by the infrastructure based on, on, on messaging. Um, and, uh, yeah. So this is sort of connecting to what you said, right? So what we are getting is sort of by durably storing the request and offloading it to queue and then having the possibility, even when the cringe is sort of super unhappy about Christmas, uh, that we can sort of re- recover from that and. What's pretty neat about this as well is, and I'm going to sort of demonstrate that again, is here when we, when we look at sort of the classical problem of sort of, um, integration between queues and, 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 and storage, what we can see on my screen is I have this pip order handler, right? And what it does, it sort of, tries to create, whenever this message comes in, it tries to create a shipping information. And then what it does, it publishes an order-shipped event to the outside world. But the problem that we have is, right, essentially we're writing two lines, well, a few lines of code, and one of it is publishing to the outside world. But now what happens if, for example, we have issues with DynamoDB? Or what happens if we have issues with the messaging infrastructure where, for example, the context, the publish, the message doesn't get out, right? We are basically in this state where we can have sort of, um, all things can go wrong. So for example, we, what we have is we can have stuff in the database, but the message didn't go out, or we can have essentially, um, uh, stuff in the databases and messages, uh, uh, Sorry, stuff not in the database. Databases and multiple messages going out and essentially also being retried, right? And then downstream systems might, like, yeah. yeah, total chaos, exactly. <laughs> uh, and what we can essentially do here, um, for example, is there is this pattern is called the transactional uh, outbox pattern. And what what we can, wait uh, a second. What we can do here is we can go and we set up. On the screen, I'm sharing the the configuration. We set up the DynamoDB client as we did before, and what we're also doing is we're essentially saying I just have to find it. Uh, hmm. up just a
0: little more. You're looking for the Outbox config.
2: Yeah, thank yep, you, right Brandon. There. Thank you, thank you. You basically just say enable our Outbox, and what's happening now is essentially um, instead of sending out the messages, what's going to happen is. In that uh, ship order handler, handler, what's going to to happen is it will automatically do uh, sort of transactional writes against DynamoDB, and it will sort of put that uh, order shipping information into sort of a transaction against DynamoDB, plus it will also durably store all the messages that are supposed to go out into DynamoDB as well. And I can show you how this looks like when we're yeah, right. when, when we essentially, um, when we have the cringe sort of intercepting with, with us, right? Because one of the things I told you is DynamoDB has the restrictions of 400 KB uh, per item si- size, we, uh, right? And we can, uh, we can have, have up to 100 uh, items in, in one transaction, if I'm not, not mistaken. So the framework essentially tries to adhere to sort of the the restrictions, or let's say, the capabilities of the underlying storage layer and make sure that everything is transactionally and safely written. So what what it looks like is if you're sort of sending more um, messages, and uh, let me go back to the to the client UI. I'm switching now back and I'm sending a few or or yes, of course. Let me just start the client UI again. And now it's running. I'm sending a few more orders. And now I'm in the middle of of the code that is sort of about to throw an exception. right? And now if we go over to the workbench, what we can see in the workbench is when I scan in my local emulator, when I'm going into the database, what's going to happen is, and this is probably a little bit, sort of small but um what what essentially is written alongside with the order id is that we have sort of multiple of these outbox entries inside dynamo db and uh one of these sort of um entries there has uh, has a, a property called it's a it's a boolean and it's called dispatched equals uh false and if we can we can scan that one. We can see here now we have this sort of metadata entry inside DynamoDB that says, "Well, we were about to send out um, multiple messages, uh, especially two uh, two uh, messages." And if we would look on this specific example, unfortunately, it's a bit hard for me to filter with that uh, sort of little screen. But if we, um, uh, if we, hopefully, I can find it. Um we would see that essentially the, the record uh that is yeah it's a bit hard to uh to do that on that very small screen. Let me just see scan again, again again. Okay. Anyway. You know what? I'm just going to go back. Yeah, here essentially here here it is on the screen. So now we see in the workbench there is this outbox operation. 0001, and the other one is outbox operation 002. So it essentially uses lexographically ordered sort of uh, um, sort keys to sort of align automatically all sort of the outgoing operations into uh, DynamoDB. And if we scroll over, uh, but for some reason, my scroll bar is not showing that, what we can see in what it stores in DynamoDB is it stores sort of where the message is supposed to go and all its related metadata, whether it's correlated to SOG and whatnot, right? So even if we would basically switch off the lights right now, essentially everything would be s- safe and transactionally guaranteed because we never have sort of the problem between uh, that that we are in that sort of permutation of problem areas where we have zombie records and, and ghost records. That's all automatically handled uh, by uh, the infrastructure or by sort of that flag enable outbox and by me in the previous example, and I'm gonna start it again, just basically just say, Hey, um, please add the record uh to the uh to the uh, transactional uh outbox and make sure that everything is um sort of automatically aligned uh from a transactional standpoint. This is what I'm showing here on the screen. It's because this sort of thing that we with in answer response is called synchronized storage which is a little bit of a complicated name to be honest basically it's just a way of saying hey here you're getting access to the unit of work that answer response automatically manages behind the scenes and because it knows sort of the and it bridges between the transport and the persistence it knows sort of the moments where it has to um, sort of uh, when it can transactionally commit the DynamoDB transaction as this specific example, or with, or when it can't, right? And it will make sure that that sort of the outbox records are uh, durably stored, and again in the format that the persistence essentially uh, wants it uh, to be stored, so that they can efficiently be retrieved again when the message is to be tried. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very good. Cool. Yeah. So just the. Can zoom out a bit. Make sure, make sure I'm understanding everything. Because <laughs> if I do, this is really, really cool and also really simple as a developer to implement. Um So what we're thinking about now is we have maybe multiple systems running in the cloud that talk to each other and yes, based off the messages they get sent back and forth, they'll execute Correct. whatever yes. they're going to execute. Yeah, but like you mentioned, sometimes our code crashes. You know. Yes, I, I don't write bad code, but sometimes other people write bad code, right? Uh, but yeah, so our, we should expect our code to crash and we should uh, handle that resiliently. And All right. it looks like the way this is doing it is, yes, it's going to send the messages for you. It's also going to store them uh, on the DynamoDB server where we're also storing our information just in case. Because if if something does crash and those messages were only stored in memory, well, they're not going to yeah. be persisted when the server restarts. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, now as a company, we've got to reach out to our customers and say, yeah, sorry, we we think you ordered this. Did did you ever get it? We don't know. <laughs> we lost. We lost it in the mail, essentially." And Correct. So, yes. This is yes. Handling that resiliency for us, and is it and what I'm looking at here. You yeah. is it basically just that one line where, um,
2: yeah, you want scroll up?
0: Back? Yeah. Yeah. So as long as we just access context.synchronized storage session, it handles all of this for us behind the. Thing. Correct. We don't have
2: to. Correct. Right. Manually so, save and this is messages
0: by... to the database.
2: Correct. Yes. And basically, um, the the persistence, for example. If you're using SQL persistence, or if you're using RavenDB persistence, or MongoDB persistence, or nHibernate persistence, um, some of these you can even integrate them with, for example, Entity Framework directly. If you're using Entity Framework, a more sort of relational approach, then also all your Entity Framework operations, again, the Entity Framework DB context will sort of automatically align into sort of making sure that everything is either written and published, or nothing has happened. Right when failures uh, failures occurred, right? And I mean, I've showed you sort of the the sample within the handler, but essentially the sort of the most basic problem that we talked about based on your input was right when you have an API controller. And most of the time, it actually looks like this, right? You have like, for example, an API controller, maybe with a GET request, right? And then you have some dependency injected into your controller. Um, in the API control. And that sort of dependency somewhere down the line in the code uh, will essentially do exactly that, right? It will try to write something into DynamoDB or equal persistence, and then it will try to publish a message to the downstream system, right? And we can even hook that up if we want to with that mechanism, which is called the outbox, Uh, and then even that even your api controllers will sort of uh the the code the order of the code is no longer uh, necessary because it will make sure that every, either the api controller execution was successful everything is stored right and the messages will go out including your uh the order was in uh, or your shipping information was in dynamodb or nothing has happened right which gives you basically the possibility to sleep at night
0: <laughs> nah, <laughs> and not being paged
2: nah. like for us what it was, right <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah
0: incredible, yeah. So, so Dana, we've only got a couple minutes left, yes and I know let's wrap it up. you shared a bunch of links with me before the show, I want to make sure we share them with everybody as well, so I'll drop those into the chat now, but I tell you what, why don't you go ahead and explain to folks um, as I'm sharing the links um what's in here, where they can find the code, all these examples that, that you've shared
2: with us. Yes. So um, are you sharing them already? Sorry. Uh, okay. So, yeah, It should essentially, be showing up in the Twitch chat right now. Okay. Yeah, so the the first link is with the, the basic um, uh, Lambda sample. The next link is the DynamoDB book by uh, Alex Debris, I think his name is called. I can highly recommend it. If you're new to DynamoDB, uh, get get this book. It's, I think, the, the best source uh, to learn DynamoDB. Then we also have the other links with the AWS show DynamoDB, shows the DynamoDB uh, example with the Saga. And Then the next ones are also showing just the plain SQS integration if people are interested in, in SQS. And then what we also have is uh, the transactional integration, the sample that I just showed you basically with the shipping information without the cringe interfering. Uh, I just did that uh, for the show, a little bit of augmentation for the Christmas theme, (laughs) um, which is that's the transactions link uh, that you're now sharing on the screen. Um, Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty much uh, it uh, for people that are interested to follow up. And of course, they can also reach out to me over Twitter or LinkedIn or um, over my email addresses, contact details if they have any More questions, and apparently I'm not an expert in Aurora DB as we just heard in this show. Uh, But I know a thing or two about uh, SQS and SNS and Dynamo DB and uh, and and messaging in in general, also in Azure. So if people have any questions, I'm happy to uh, to help them out with their with their integration problems.
0: Yeah, Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the show again. I know you always have the most amazing demos and I don't know if we even got to cover all of them today. So I'd love to have you back for around three. So hopefully we'll see you again soon. And thank you for joining us. Thanks for watching. Thanks for coming along and sharing the .NET on AWS show with us. We're here every other week. So make sure to subscribe to the AWS channel on Twitch. We also publish the .NET on AWS show as an audio podcast. You can listen to us on the go as well. And we'll be taking a bit of a break for the holidays, but we'll be back January 15th.